not right. She says she's not a good cook, but y'all can, can look at my gut and know she's a good cook, right? I eat all the time. She's a great cook. Uh, today I want to talk on the end of time. And I know I was in the, on the Ten Commandments and I intended to go that way. But there were so many people have so many questions right now about the end of time. And uh, so many people are thinking about it. So we're, and I just, God just put it on me. I'm, I'm not going to be able to teach all the details of the end of times or the book of Revelation or eschatology but in one sermon, but I just want to give you an overview, which I hope will wake you up a bit, just make you aware of the day we live in. If nothing else, the goal today is just to make you aware of the soon coming of the Lord, the day we live in today. So, uh, Brother Mike and Brother Howard are doing this small group in a couple weeks on Sunday nights. I'll just tell you right now, I'm, I don't agree with everything this guy's going to teach, but that's okay. And, uh, you know, I probably don't agree with everything you believe about the end of time. That's okay, too, because that's, that's a subject that we, I, want, I want you to watch the series. It's a video series just to challenge your thinking because you might you might be seeing it wrong you might be seeing it wrong and this guy might be wrong uh his name's Irvin Baxter he's an authority and and he's, he's an I've already watched six of the six of the lessons and they're very good there are some things there that I don't see eye to eye with but I'm telling you to challenge you and it'll wake you up it'll wake you up so put that on your calendar to come to this August the 20 3rd, August 23rd. That's a Sunday night, right? And it's just like an hour long, and then there'll be discussion. We'll have two hours because we're going to have discussion after, after you watch the video. So it'll be a healthy thing for our church, a really healthy thing. End of time. Can we go there? Do I, can you help me get my slide up there, Brother Hilton? There we go. End times, the second coming. Of Jesus Christ. Are you all okay by talking about this? Some people just get, some people get scared just talking about it. Some people just don't want to talk about it. They just rather not deal with it. But um, it's an exciting time. The Lord promised He's going to come back. The promise of His second coming, you find it there in Acts 1 9. And when He spoke in these things, while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heavens will come, will so come in like manner as you saw him going into heavens. So as Jesus ascended up and they saw him ascend up in the clouds, that's the same way he's going to come back in the clouds. When you first see him come back, he's in the clouds. At, at the rapture of the church. See, we're living in an end of normalcy. People keep saying, when are things going to get back to normal? Well, they're not going to get back to the way they were. I and mean, we're wearing masks to church. We're wearing masks to the grocery store. You know, everything is so different. Uh, I found out today my brother now has coronavirus. You know, coronavirus is just is creeping in and in and all around. And it's a very real thing. And this little pandemic has actually brought America and the world to its knees. The enemy is an invisible virus. Some little bitty invisible 
microscopic virus has brought America to its knees. Our, our country's crumbling, our economy's crumbling. We now have $27.4 trillion in debt. I remember back in the days, I think it was Ronald Reagan, we didn't even owe a trillion dollars of debt, and it was a major concern that they talked about all the time. Now you don't even hear them talking about it. They just keep printing money, and, and they're about to do it again. In just a few days, we're going to be up to $30 trillion in debt. That's an unpayable debt. Not only that, we're seeing violence in our streets. Uh, there was a little Kentucky preacher. He's had a million eight hundred views on YouTube. He's an Assembly God preacher in a little church in Kentucky. He had three dreams. How many of y'all have seen that video? Over half of you have. Well, the reason I even mention it is because it's not one of these big shot Hollywood preachers trying to profit off this. This is a little humble guy in a small church, but he had a dream, I think last December, and he saw the pandemic in, in March and he saw the violence in the streets in June and his dream was exactly the way it happened. He told all the people in his church it happened exactly the way he saw it. And the reason I bring it up now because he's had another, another couple dreams and now he's seeing September through November as worse than it was in June. He's seeing violence in the streets in a remarkable way. He's seeing cities being burnt to the ground. This guy's had a dream that things are going to get much, much worse here before the election. And I hope he's wrong. I hope he ate too, too much bad food before he went to bed and just had a bad dream. But it's very possible he could be right. A, a lot of this, I think, what we're experiencing in America is an election year. And we got two sides, polar opposites, with so much hate against each other, they'll do anything to try to win this election. So I'm not saying the coronavirus is, is not, it's real, believe me, it's not a hoax, it's real. But it's being blown out of proportion to the fact that, that it's, it, you can see how the government can control us all. We all lined up like a bunch of sheep just following, you know, the government can control you. And we're living in a time, and, uh, but that's all okay. This is okay. God's not stressed out about the coronavirus. He's not stressed out about the violence in the street. He's not stressed out about the racial tension and the racial war in our country. God's on the throne. He's in control. He's sovereign. And see, what has to happen is America is actually going to have to lose its dominant position of the world power that it is in order for Antichrist to ever take over. We're not going to just submit to a new world order. We're not going to submit to a one world government and some Antichrist leading it as long as we're strong and powerful in America. Americans don't do that. So you see how America's got to lose its power. It's got to lose its strength. And once the dollar bill crumbles down to nothing and then we lose our economy, then that will set the stage for the Antichrist to come in a, in, in a new world order, a one world government. He'll even have a one world economy and a one world religion. And this is all coming up right down the pike. I don't know if it's going to happen one year or 10 years or 100 years. Let me just say that right now. I'm not one of these people that are trying to tell you it's going to happen between now and Christmas. But I'm telling you it could happen between now and Christmas. And uh, the Bible is real clear on no man knows the day or, or the hour. Now, I'm not dogmatic about eschatology. 
eschatology is just a big fancy word talking about things of the future. When you look at the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel and you, you look into the future, our Bible has many, many, not only clues, but many, many prophecies that are going to come to pass about the future. It, there's already been, you know, over a thousand of them fulfilled perfectly in the Old Testament up into this date. Well, there's just a ton of more prophecies about the future. And the Bible leaves uh, some of it's mysterious and some of it's easy to see as the nose on my face. Some of it's real clear to see. It's not just some hocus pocus pie in the sky. This is the word of God. And when God says it, yea and amen, let it be so. It, it's going to happen exactly the way he says it. So don't worry, God's on the throne. I'm not, again, I'm not dogmatic about a lot of these things, but I do have opinions, have some very strong opinions, and other things I'm just, you know, a saw, I would call it a soft opinion. I'm still very teachable in the area of eschatology. I'm, I'm very, thank you, Liz, for saying that's good, because a lot of people want their pastor to know everything, and they want me to tell you just how it's going to be, and then you believe the way I believe, or either you're wrong. Well, that's just not the way it is, you know. As God gives me revelation, <laughs> amen. I'll tell you if I believe it. And if, I, if I believe it so much, I'll die for it. But if I don't believe it that strong, I'll tell you that too. That means let's all go pray about it. Let's try to figure these things out. Praise the Lord. Are you all with me here? All right, here's a simple timeline. We know there's been 4,000 years of Old Testament history since the Garden of Eden. Since the Garden of Eden to the cross of Calvary was right around 4,000 years. Since Jesus' birth, you know, death, burial, resurrection has been about 2,000 years of time has gone by. So that's 6,000 years. I believe the next event to take place is the rapture of the overcoming church. And, and during, right after the rapture, there's going to be a great tribulation of three and a half years, a tribulation like the world has never seen. Then after that, there's going to be a second coming of Christ. Christ is going to come back to the earth, and then he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. During the tribulation period, there's going to be something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're going to have this great feast, a great marriage feast, and I want to be a part of the very bride of Jesus Christ, and I want you to be there with me. Uh, while the tribulation is going on, we're going to be up in heaven having the experience in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's in a real simplistic form. Uh, some, that's what you call a pre-tribulation doctrinal position. I'm pre-trib. Now, a lot of people, since we say the, the great tribulation is only three and a half years, they would call me mid-trib because they think there's another three and a half years of softer tribulation. Are you following what I'm saying? This gentleman teaching this Bible course is a post-trib, and that, that's very interesting. It means he thinks the rapture is going to take place at the end of tribulation period. And you might say, heresy. No, that's good. Let's think about that. Let's, let's hear his teaching and, and sort these things out on our own. It really doesn't make difference to me whether... It's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. What matters to me is if I'm ready to go when Jesus blows the horn, when the trumpet blows and the Lord comes back in the clouds, I want to be caught away to meet him. 
and I want all you guys to go with me. Amen. Now, when you look at that timeline, it's always important to remember, 2 Peter 3, 8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So if you go back and look at that, we had 6,000 years of time has taken place. That's the six days of work. And the seventh day is the day of rest, which is the millennial reign. So six days of work with 6,000 years. There's another 1,000 years coming up after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the second coming of Christ. The, Jesus is going to establish the kingdom of God right here on this earth, and he's going to rule, literally, Jesus himself ruling right out of Jerusalem for 1,000 years on this earth. I plan to be there with him. I hope you can be there with him. I hope you can read this blue, uh, blue and black. I'm not sure we can read it, but I want to just give you some scriptures. I'm going to read you scriptures so you won't think I'm trying to talk you into my opinion. I'll just give it to you like the Bible says it. This is what the Bible says about the rapture. It said, the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. That should be a comfort to you. That shouldn't scare you. That shouldn't freak you out. That should be an absolute comfort to you. That means the Lord's going to come and catch you away. He's going to the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to get their new resurrected body. Then we which remain, we're going to go right after them. That's called the rapture, the catching of the way. The rapture is not used in the Bible, but this word uh, to be caught up is a ca catching away, which means a rapture. You're going, to, you're going to just disappear and go meet the Lord in the clouds. And you say, wow, that is too far-fetched. I can't believe a miracle that big. Well, the children of Israel couldn't hardly believe their eyes when the Red Sea split and they walked through it either. Joshua couldn't hardly believe his eyes when God made the sun stand still for, for a whole day to give him another day to fight. Joshua couldn't believe his eyes when the River Jordan parted as they marched into Canaan's land. Beloved, the Bible's full of miracles. God's a miraculous God, and he's got a, the rapture of the church is, is something that's non-negotiable with me. It's going to happen. God said it's going to happen. I plan on being a part of it. If I don't go by the grave first, I plan on being caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. Now, Corinthians 15 says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Twink your eye one time. How long did that take? That's pretty quick right there. <laughs> In the twinkling of an eye. I love that. It, now, the problem is there's so many scriptures that talk about the day of the Lord. You don't know whether he's talking about the rapture or the second coming of Christ. And this is why some people are pre-trib and some are post-trib, because it's just hard to discern. If we look at Luke 21, verse 25, it says, There shall be signs in the sun in the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations we're having that now with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring 
men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud you see that with power and great glory now when these things begin to happen look up lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh now i believe that's talking about the rapture when he comes in the cloud the second coming is different. He'll actually come and put his feet on the Mount of Olives. If you look at 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. I believe that talks about the second coming of Christ, and many, many, many signs and scriptures tie into that scripture in Peter. In Zechariah, it talks about Jesus actually coming down. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And when, he, when his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east, the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. That's when his second coming, he's actually going to come to Jerusalem. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives, and there will be a great earthquake and a great valley form there. My favorite second coming scripture is Revelation 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judged and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine white linen, clean, followed him on white horses. See, I want to be in that group right there. This is when he's coming back, and there's a whole army behind him on a white horse. That's his bride coming back with him when he comes back, the second coming. That means the marriage supper of the Lamb's already taken place. This is the end of the tribulation period, and this is when Jesus comes back on a white horse and his bridal armies following with him. They got fine, white, clean linen. The Bible says, I can't see it. Let me go this way. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads a winepress, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And then you go to Revelations 21 through 4, it talks about the millennial reign. And there it tells you clearly how a thousand years is going to go by where Jesus is, is, is going to rule and reign out of Jerusalem. The devil's going to be locked up in a pit. He's not going to be influencing the earth like he is today for a thousand years. I'm not going to try to read that. My font's way too small. But just trust me on that. Read Revelation 21 through 4. And then you talk about the tribulation period. The great, there's the great tribulation. Uh, even this gentleman that's doing this series here, he uses that term, the great tribulation of three and a half years. It's like a milder tribulation you're going to go through some tribulation we're going through tribulation now with the coronavirus 
We're going through tribulation now with violence in our streets. There's going to be more tribulation when our dollar becomes worth nothing. You're going to see tribulation in your own home. When, you know, life could be different. We could be in soup lines before this is over with if all of our dollars are no good. But this great tribulation is this time when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth for three and a half years. And here's four scriptures to prove the, the length of it. Revelations 11, 2. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Revelations 11.3, And I will give power to my two witnesses. That's Enoch and Elisha. That's the only two guys that hadn't died. Enoch got raptured. Remember, the Bible says he, he, had, he walked with God, and all of a sudden he was not. He got taken up. And Elisha got taken up when the chariot came down. Y'all know that, swing down, sweet chariot, come and let me ride. You know, Elisha got taken up in a whirlwind. So they hadn't died yet. So they're going to come and witness for three and a half years. And they'll be slain in the streets and die and then be resurrected. They'll prophesy 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. In Revelations 12, 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she is a place prepared by God that should that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So there's part of the church that's going to have to go through the tribulation period. You understand those are Christians there, the woman, part of the church that's going to have to flee in the wilderness for three and a half years. Now that could be people that got saved the moment after the rapture took place. They realized they were they thought they were saved. They're not. They got left behind, and they got their act together and got saved at that point. I don't know. I'm not speculating on that today. But there's a lot of different scenarios where you've got Christians in the tribulation period. And then Revelations 13, 4, and 5. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So that's the Antichrist. He's going to rule and reign for three and a half years during the tribulation, during the great tribulation period. What's going to happen in the tribulation period? Well, you can get in the book of Revelation and spend a lot of time there. I'm not going to take the time today, but the, the Antichrist is going to rule for three and a half years. He's going to make people wear his mark of 666. We often wondered, you know, how would that look like? Are they going to just put a big tattoo on our forehead or something? Well, now you realize, if y'all been reading at all, a lot of these people are saying, let's get the vaccine, and when we vaccine you, we'll insert a chip into you so they can track you. Well, let me tell you something. If they offer you a vaccine with a chip, you need to turn that down. You know, uh, give me a vaccine so I won't catch coronavirus. That's great, but don't put a chip in me. You're not going to put a chip in my, f my forehead or my hand. That ain't going to happen because that's how the Antichrist is going to control the whole earth. He's going to have everybody will have a chip. So anyway, he'll rule. Then there are the seven trumpets, the two witnesses, the three woes, the sharp sickle, the seven angels, the seven last plagues, the seven golden vials full of wrath, the three unclean spirits like frogs, mystery, Babylon the Great, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the battle of Armageddon. All that is found in the book of Revelations during this three and a half year time. 
So if you want to, you know, learn more about that, come to our small group on Sunday night and you can learn all about that kind of stuff. Now, another thing that I believe is a strong matter is why people, some think it's seven years instead of three and a half years is because they really misunderstand Daniel 9 and Matthew 24. In Daniel 9, it talks about 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. That means a week is seven years. So it's 490 years of God specifically dealing with the Jews and Jerusalem, the holy city. What's, what are the 70 weeks for? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity. So how, how did God get rid of transgression, sins, and iniquity? Through Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how he did it. He, he ended all of that. And then to make reconciliation for iniquity, to, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Not only does he take our sins away, he imputes his righteousness upon us. I love that. To seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So there was 490 years of God dealing specifically with the Jewish people. And he's saying here there were 69 weeks, which is 483 years of when the commandment came to go and rebuild the temple until Jesus Christ came was exactly 483 years. That's why it's amazing that the Jewish scribes and scholars didn't see the first coming of Jesus. I mean, all they had to do was understand when that commandment came in the book of Daniel and look on their calendar and they would have known when Jesus was coming to the earth. The Bible said he came into his own, and his own received him not. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. They didn't see Jesus, but it was clear prophesied right here. Now it's a historical fact. It was 483 years from the time that commandment came until Jesus came. Are you all following me? Is this interesting to you? I'm going to keep going then. Now here in Daniel 9, it gets confusing. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war of desolations are determined, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. That's hard to understand for, for, the, for the most scholarly theologian. What he's saying here is Messiah was cut off in the midst of the week. There was one more seven-year period. Now, Jesus came for three and a half years, three and a half years of ministry, and then he was cut off in the middle of the week. And the next three, and, and see, so that's, that's God dealing with the Jews as gentle as he can. Jesus came with nothing but compassion and love and healing and forgiveness and touching lepers and raising the dead and feeding the hungry. Everything he did was love and compassion and mercy and grace and long for three and a half years. And at the end of the three and a half years, they were saying, crucify him crucify him let his blood be on our hands 
So now 2,000 years go by. He was cut off in the middle of the week. And now the last part of the week is going to be the great tribulation where God pours his wrath out on the world. Are y'all following that? Now, what is he saying here? This, you get, you're talking about Messiah at the beginning getting cut off. And then you're talking about the prince, which was Titus in 70 AD, came and destroyed Jerusalem. And, and in the middle of the week, three and a half years at Calvary, Jesus is the one that brings an end to the sacrifice. This is important to understand. This, this verse 26 through 27 starts out talking about Jesus. Then he's talking about the prince, which was Titus. He destroyed the city and the sanctuary. Antichrist didn't destroy that. That was Titus in 70 AD. And, and it came with a flood. And the end of war of desolations are determined. It was the most horrible time Jerusalem had ever seen. And then it flips. He says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the seven years again. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Jesus brought an end to the sacrifice at Calvary. If you remember on the cross, the Bible says the veil was rent to and fro. That veil should have never been sewn back up. But what the Jews did, they sewed the veil back up and started offering animals again even after Jesus was resurrected. And that's the abomination of desolations, the fact that they kept offering animal sacrifices. And that's why God allowed the Roman government, led by Titus in 70 AD, annihilated and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. That's just all history. Y'all following that? But that gets confused, and in Matthew 24, the reason there's confusion there, because he refers in verse 15 to the prophecy of Daniel that I just read. But in Matthew 24, he's not answering one question, he's answering three questions. Three questions. The Bible says, this is the famous Olivet Discourse, they call it, when Jesus was talking about the end of time. Well, look at verse 1 through 3. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. He was looking at the temple, and he was prophesying that in 70 AD, the whole temple is about to be destroyed. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, look what they said, tell us when these things shall be. In other words, when, when's this temple going to get destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming? Tell us about the sign of the second coming. You said you're going to come back. What's the sign of that? And of the end of age. Or when's the end of the world? What's the sign of the end of the world? There was three questions he asked. So when you go home and read Matthew 24, you have to discern which of those verses are dealing with the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which one are dealing with the end of time, and which verses are dealing with the second coming. I don't have time to break all that down for you today, but trust me, that's where the confusion comes. Are y'all still following me? <clears throat> I'm working really hard. Is this okay? Is this boring you? <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. So the next verse in Matthew 24, he starts giving them the signs of the times. 
Jesus said unto them, Take heed, no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. That could be people calling themselves Christ, or that could be people preaching in Christ's name. <laughs> There's a whole lot of deceitful people use the name of Jesus today to twist all kind of strange doctrine. And he says, and they, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Then you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine. There will be pestilence, coronavirus. <laughs> what about all the locusts that have destroyed millions of acres of crops in Africa? That's happened this year. Read your news. There will be pestilence, it says, and earthquakes. Uh, there was an earthquake this morning in Tennessee. Any of y'all hear about that? Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, all that area felt a little shaking there. That's, that's unusual. We're on a fault line right here. I w in fact, we bought earthquake insurance last time I did my homeowner's policy. Why? Because I, if you look at a chart, I didn't have time to pull all that far, but over the past 20 years, frequencies and intensities of earthquakes have been on a rise consistently for the last 20 years. There's going to be more earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. See, we're going to have to go through all of this before we even get to the rapture, the second coming of Christ. These are the beginning of sorrows. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise to deceive many. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as to witness to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel, the Bible, has been translated now into so many different languages. There's been a lot of a strong, especially in America, America, the breadbasket of the world, has pushed missionaries out to all these foreign tribes, down in the Amazon jungle of South America, to all the tribes of Africa. And now with technology and radio and Internet and, and the way that the word spread, you, it's safe to say that the gospel has been preached to the whole world. It's just one of the signs, but I believe this is a, it's one of the signs that the coming is soon. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. We live in a culture where people don't even feel guilty about being in love with themselves. What's wrong with that? Lovers of money. I think King James says covetous. Well, we live in a world in America, we think that's a good thing to love money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. We need to be content, not covetous. The, he said, in the last days, men will be boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What does God say to do with those people there? From such people, turn away, stay away from those people. Don't let, if you're not careful, you're out trying to convert the world, the world will convert you. <clears throat> Chad said the other day, you need to be insulated, not isolated. 
I love that. Amen. Aren't y'all enjoying Brother Chad and his preaching? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap for them. Amen. He had to go marry someone in Minnesota. He didn't marry. He, he, he officiated the thing. Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But they'll come home tomorrow. In the last days, men will be scoffers. Look at this. Walking according to their own lust, saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. See, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my life. Oh, we've been hearing about the rapture forever. We've been hearing about the second coming. Look, now it's 20 years, 30 years have gone by. Where is it? Well, I'll tell you, it's closer now than it was then. It's closer now than it was then. When I was 17 years old, I remember sitting on my back porch with my mama telling her I wanted to get married and have a family and get a career going quick. And she said, why? And I said, well, the rapture's going to take place. And I don't want to miss out on all that, you know. But so, so at 17, I really, you know, I had a and that was just being a good Baptist boy. I didn't know a lot, but, but I knew enough that it was the soon coming of the Lord was upon us. And it has been our whole lifetime. So when you're, if you see things really come unraveled between now and the election, don't get discouraged, don't get afraid, don't get anxious, don't get worried. Comfort one another with the word of God Amen. that there's going to be a rapture of the church and he's going to come catch us away and take us out of here. Are y'all following that? And then here's your big sign to let you know it hadn't happened yet. This is the big one. This may be the last sign that's prophesied that hadn't taken place yet. It's found in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. Look at this. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And we're seeing that of falling away worldwide. People are falling away from their first love, falling away from a passionate walk with Jesus Christ. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that's the Antichrist. So he's saying that it's not going to happen until the Antichrist rises up in the temple and proclaims himself to be God. And he's going to control the whole world. Now, what I'm not clear on, does that mean the rapture is not going to take place until we see the Antichrist do that or the second coming? You see, I've always thought it was the rapture, but it might be the second coming. Y'all follow me here. It says concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to leave that to your, on your t plate and let you pray about that. Because yeah. I thought if I ever woke up and looked at the newspaper and saw well, there's one guy in Jerusalem was proclaiming himself to be God and the whole world's going to all of a sudden follow him. Beloved, you better look up for redemption draweth now. It's going to happen soon. But, but that might, might take place before the second coming. The rapture could take place before that happens if, if that's prophesying about the second coming instead of the rapture. I hope you all understand what I'm saying there. 
The other thought is, is the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. He's not saying he's like anything like a thief. He's trying to say a thief in the night comes when you don't suspect him. The thief doesn't break into your house at 7 o'clock. He waits till you're asleep. So he, the, he's saying, I'll just read you through the scripture. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Luke 12, but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. So we can sit here and talk about it and get all worked up and think we can figure out when he's coming. Well, that's not when he's coming. He's coming when you don't expect him to come. Liz, can I get a water underneath you there? There's a basket of water. <clears throat> but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So he's going to come when you don't expect him to come. He's going to come at a time when we could be sleeping. And there's so many of these scriptures deal with that sleeping thing that it concerned me enough to say, you know, church, we got to make sure we're awake. We need to define what being spiritually awake is. You don't want to be asleep when the thief breaks into the house. You don't want to be asleep spiritually when Jesus comes back. <clears throat> I'm not working here, Brother Hilton. Thank you. Did we skip over something? There. Going back to Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, I'm almost done. But the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now listen at that. Listen at the analogy he gives you. He's trying to paint a picture of when Noah and his family got on that ark. He had been preaching for all that time that for everyone who needs to get on the ark or they're going to drown. Nobody believed Noah except his family members, his wife and his three children and their wives. Just eight of them got on the ark. But as the day as the Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Now there I believe he's talking about the rapture because he's real clear how two men are in the field. One's going to go and one's going to get left behind. I don't want to be left behind. Here's a warning verse in Luke 21. Take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness. Now you're thinking I'm not a carouser and I'm not a drunk. Look at this next one though. And the cares of life. 
And we could read that, take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of life. You see, the cares of life can just so overwhelm you. We got to work our jobs. We got to feed our families. We got kids and grandkids to take care of. We got our health to deal with. We got the cares. We got all our, we got problems. We got complexities. We got enemies. We got financial troubles. You know, we got relational troubles. There's there's a lot to do. And, and beloved, he's saying, don't let your heart be weighed down with the cares of life. Because that day will come on you unexpectedly. In other words, what's more important is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's more important than the cares of life. There's nothing more important in life than your relationship with him. Be alive. Be awake. Have oil in your lamp. Have, be full of the spirit of God. Be, be wide awake spiritually. Don't let the cares of life take your study time away in the morning. You wake up in the morning and run to the Lord and have a time of communion with him. Then you go to work. Then you deal with the cares of life. And if you need to unwind and get it all off of you when the night's over with and go back to your study and get back to your Bible and back to your knees. Beloved, we need to be awake. We need to be ready. We need to be watching for the soon coming of the Lord. We need to be looking up in the clouds for our redemption draweth nigh. It will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Wow, Luke 21, 34 through 36. I don't have time to go through the parable of virgins, but I'll tell you this. At the end of the parable, there's five foolish and five wise. They all fell asleep at midnight. There was a cry came. Somebody woke them up. And the five wise ones had oil in their lamp, so they had light. Five foolish ones had let their oil run out. They didn't have any light. So they went to looking for trying to buy some oil. And when they did, the bridegroom came. And they were, they were left behind. The door was closed. They weren't allowed to go into the marriage feast at all. And, and the Lord told them, he said, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. So it reminded me of Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is, those are horrific words. Those are incredible words. I never knew you. My last slide, but in the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And do this, knowing that the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Is Brother Vince still in the building? Can you run up here real quick for me? Or a pianist if Vince isn't here. Do we have a Scotty, is Vince here? There he is. I appreciate it. I'm only going to take a moment. I know, and we've got a coronavirus issue, and, and I want to have an altar call. The truth is we, we can't all come down here, and we can get at the altar. We can space out if you need to come. I, you know, you don't worry about it. If you have a mask, wear a mask. I want you all to feel safe. You know, thank God only two people in our church have had the coronavirus so far. I mean, that, give the Lord a hand clap for that. That's a miracle. We've, we've been careful. 
We've been careful. We want to continue to be careful. He said, knowing that this, the time is, it's high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So my question to you is, is what is your relationship with God? Is it, is it as it should be? I'm talking about not, I'm not talking about you coming to church often or maybe you pay tithes. I'm talking about your one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Is it really as it should be? Is your heart on fire for God? Are, are you spiritually awake and watching? Are you ready to meet your creator? If the rapture was to take place this afternoon, are you ready? That's my question. Are you abiding in Christ Jesus and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Is love pouring out of your heart? Are you, is your relationship as it should be? Or are you backsliding and is your oil running out? God wants us to all be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be continually filled with the Spirit. He wants us so much of the Word and the Spirit to be inside of us that it bubbles out and spills over, overflows to others. Is your life filled with habitual sin that you're, that's separating you from God? If you got habitual sin in your life you just can't overcome and you know this thing is separating you and bothering, messing up your relationship with Jesus? Are you a carnal, lukewarm Christian, barely holding on to your faith, just struggling to survive? Are you someone who goes to church, but you're not even sure if you're saved or not? That's the big question. You don't want to assume you're saved, and then one day Jesus look at you and say, I never knew you, you that work lawlessness. You'd say, Lord, Lord, I went to church. Lord, I paid my tithes. Lord, I... I, I, I thought I was saved. He, what if he looked at you and said, I never knew you. It's, this is time to get right with the Lord. Times are going to get harder in America. Between now and the election, I guarantee you, there's things going to happen going to make us all anxious and uncomfortable. Hey, these are, just, these are the birth pains. The, these are the beginning of tribulation, the beginning of sorrow. And as it, as it gets worse and worse, he's promised us a rapture is going to come take us out of here. And I want you all to be ready to go with me. If y'all would stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray over you. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just ask you, in Jesus' name, 